0: Thank you, Brother Terry. My goodness, when you think you can't go on, that's when he does the miracle. Ready for a miracle? Amen, I am. Ready for a miracle. We'll do what's possible, and we'll leave the rest to him. So, uh, Isaiah chapter 6, if you'll follow along in your Bible. Isaiah chapter 6. This morning, I want to share with you about... Discovering the Sovereignty of God Discovering the Sovereignty of God We're going to look at Isaiah 6 We'll be focusing on verses 1 through 13 Going to do things a little different this morning I'm just going to take it verse by verse I won't take time to read all the verses right now But we'll cover them before we get finished Uh, We'll look through Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 13. Discovering the sovereignty of God, Isaiah 6, 1 through 13. Let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for an opportunity we have to come into your presence, to worship you, praise you, sing hymns, praise songs, uh, to have intercessory prayer, and now to open your word. Speak to our hearts we pray, Father, allow your Holy Spirit to be our teacher, our guide. Give me the words to say, the right spirit to say them in. And Lord, let your Spirit interpret to us your word. And then may we not be just hearers of your word, but doers of your word. Thank you for what you're going to do. Thank you for your sovereignty, your power. Over our lives, over the entire world, and we make this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you'll follow along in your Bible, we're going to look at verse 1. And as we look at verse 1, chapter 6 begins, and Isaiah, the chapter 6 of the book of Isaiah, begins by stating that a great king had died, King Uzziah had died now if you're taking notes this morning the outline probably will just be the verses so it'll be 13 points on your on your outline no doubt but king Uzziah had died let me give you some background about king Uzziah king Uzziah became king when he was 16 years old he was 16 years old he became king he was a good king he was a great king Uzziah became king at 16 years old, and he ruled for 52 years, and so he died perhaps around 68 years old. But he was a good king. He'd He'd been a remarkable king in many ways. First of all, he was determined to seek after God. He wanted to seek after God. He wanted to seek after God. And then Judah, because of his leadership, Judah was experiencing great prosperity. There was great prosperity in the land and attributed to King Uzziah. People were happy. People were happy in Judah. They'd had a series of military campaigns and they'd been successful. And they had went against the enemies of God, and some of the territory that had been taken before had now been uh, had now been restored, and they they blown back to Judah, and the people were excited about that. And following the military conquest, suddenly there was this great internal development. Things were being built in Judah. Sounds real familiar, doesn't it? Things were being built in Judah. They were building towers in Judah. Plenty, uh, uh, making cisterns, building cisterns to get their water from one place to the other. Uh, They were planting, they had planting of land. They were growing crops. It was a a time of cultivation, planting crops and cultivating crops. Uh, They were increasing in husbandry. They, uh, they They had this religious appearance going on in the land sacrifices were being offered but all at the same time they had their sins just laying beneath the surface not dealing that much with their sins then something happened to all of these great things that were going on king uzziah died oh my goodness that was troubling the king had died something bad had happened king uzziah had died. Now, the reason he died was he got real proud, very prideful. He became so proud that he thought that he could step into the role of the priest. He wanted to play the part of the priest also. And so he rebelled against God, and God smittened him with leprosy. And for the last period of his time, uh, last period of his life, he lived all alone to himself. And he died to himself. The king died. So the point is, this popular king, all of a sudden, was removed from his throne. No more King Uzziah. Well, the news began to spread across the land. It went from street to street. King Uzziah had died. went from town to town. King Uzziah had died. It went from village to village. King Uzziah had died. And all of a sudden, all of Judah, their hearts were broken because their favorite king had died. Chaos everywhere. People didn't know what they were going to do. You see, there was this one throne, this one person in which Isaiah had always looked for support and looked for encouragement, and that was King Uzziah. And Isaiah was beside himself. He wondered, who's going to succeed this king? Who's going to take care of the people? And so he decides to go to the temple to pray. Now that's a good place to start, prayer. And so he goes to the temple to pray. And so if you'll notice verse 1, as he gets to the temple, he said in verse 1, the be part of that verse says, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Isaiah goes to the temple. I saw the Lord sitting on a throne. And here's the point. Behind the empty throne, there was another throne that's never empty. Don't forget that. When the throne on earth is empty, there's another throne that is never empty. It's always filled. It's God's throne. And so it's the throne of the Lord God Almighty, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And so here's the point. Kings may reign, and they, may, and they die, but God's still on his throne. Presidents may lead. They may lead our nation. Then they may be voted in. They may be voted out. They may be impeached. They may resign, and then one day they're going to die. But whatever happens, you got to remember, God is still on his throne. Amen. Amen. He's still on his throne. You're wanting a miracle. You gotta remember, God's still on his throne. And Isaiah realized this. And it was comforting to him because the, the enemy, Telephazar, uh, Teleth was advancing toward Judah. Everything was in chaos, and all of a sudden the enemy is coming toward, I mean, toward Judah, and God. He remembered here now that he's still on his throne. He's still high. He's still exalted and all glorious. Heaven's throne, point number one, is never empty. Heaven's throne is never empty. Look at verse 2. And above it, above his throne, stood seraphims. Each one had six wings, and two he covered his face, and two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. So above the throne stood the seraphim, spiritual, angelic-like beings. They had six wings, notice what they did with their wings. Two wings covered his face. You see, angels are created beings like humans, and they themselves cannot look upon the glory of God without being consumed, as we could not look upon the glory of God without being consumed. So with two of these wings, they covered their face. And then with two wings, they covered their feet. That's a symbol of humility. The place, you know, when Moses went before the burning bush, all of a sudden the voice came from the bush and said, Moses, take off your sandals. You're standing on holy ground. And here they covered their feet. Just a symbol of holiness. And two wings, they flew the word flew there should could be translated hovered. And so you had these angelic beings, just like a helicopter perhaps, and they're just hovering. You know what a hummingbird, you ever seen a hummingbird? And they just stand there and all, their, all of a sudden they shoot off this way, they shoot off that way, they shoot that way, and back that way. They can go any way in a split second. These These angelic beings flew. They were always ready to go where God wanted to go. Wanted them to go. Always ready to do what God wanted them to do. Always reaching to be dispatched. Ready to be dispatched into the service of the Lord. So God is on his throne. Angels are there to serve him and to achieve all of his purposes. And look at verse 3. Nothing ever happens to the character of God. Verse 3 says, And one cried to another. So these angelic beings are crying back and forth. To one to another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Nothing ever happens to God's character, point three. Nothing ever happens to his character. God is holy. He's been holy. He is holy. He'll always be holy. And so notice, holy, holy, holy. You have the triune God. It's Trinitarian mentioned here. Holy, holy, holy. God is holy. So the triune God is represented. Holy is the Father. Holy is the Son. Holy is the Spirit. And so, friend, a holiness, God's holiness is a holiness that cannot be measured and it cannot be repeated here on the earth. We'll never be as holy as God is holy. He says this. He says, be ye holy as I'm holy, meaning be separate from the world that we're in. We'll never be as holy as God. We'll never be a God. There's only one true God. So God is holy. God is separate. God is unlike us. And here's the point. Whatever you're going through, I don't care what you're going through, whatever you're going through, whatever crisis you're going through, God is sovereign. God is on his throne, his angels are are around him, he's without error, he's without flaw, he's perfect, he's consistent, he's infinitely holy. We have a holy God. And so the whole earth, notice at the end of that verse, verse 3, the whole earth is full of his glory. So the point is he is the God that he's always, he's always been. He's the same God that he's always been. No change whatsoever. Look at verse 4, if you will. And the post of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. If you're taking notes, point number four, be nature responds to God's sovereignty. All of a sudden, the house begins to shake. The post begins to shake. The whole temple begins to shake. It's filled with smoke. Nature is a better interpreter of God than we are as humans. You remember Moses going to Mount Sinai? He goes to Mount Sinai to receive the Ten Commandments. What happened? All of a sudden, the mountain begins to shake, and it begins to smoke. Nature can interpret the holiness of God better than we can. So the the temple here begins to shake, and it's filled with smoke. And so this this is a frightening time. To uh, Isaiah. So what's his response? It's in verse 5. Notice Isaiah's refun- uh, response. He says, woe is me. Now in chapter 5, I didn't have time to share chapter 5 and chapter 6. But you need to read chapter 5. And you'll follow right into chapter 6. But there's a six woes, I believe, there in chapter 5. And that word woe means curse. And he says, woe is me. Cursed is me. Woe is me, for I am undone. So his response, the essence of this message, this is the only thing that will anchor your soul in the midst of a crisis, is what's going to take place right here. And what we've already talked about, what's going to anchor my soul in the midst of a crisis? What do I need to anchor my soul right now in the upheaval of, of America? Number one, to know that God is sovereign. No one usurps his power. To, be, to know that God is absolute holy. To know his glory is, is infinite, always. He's always holy. And then, it's an awesome thing to come into the presence of a holy God. And the most needful thing in our time is to, is to get a vision of what God has And when we get a a vision of what God has for us and who God is, it will drastically change our lives. And that's what happened to Isaiah. We need our lives to be changed by experiencing the holiness of God. You see, Christianity is not just a trivial relationship with God, with Jesus Christ, but it's to get a vision of the greatness and the majesty of a holy God. And when that happens, our lives begin to change. Notice his response there in verse 5. Notice what he said. He didn't say, Wow. He says, Whoa. Woe is me. He didn't say, Wow, I saw God. I was like people who have died and gone to heaven, and it's like people who've died and gone to hell and they come back and tell all about it. Mm-mm. He says, Woe is me. Woe is me, I'm condemned. He says, woe is me, what? I'm I'm undone. That word in Hebrew means I'm falling apart. I'm coming apart at the seams. Woe is me, he says. Look at verse 4, if you will. He says, or verse 5. Woe is me, for I'm undone. I'm falling apart. I'm coming loose at the seams. Why is that? Woe is me. Curses himself. So why is that? He compares himself all of a sudden with God and all of his majesty and his sovereignty and his holiness and his glory. And he knows that he, in comparison to God, is ruined. Woe is me. He becomes overwhelmed in the presence of a holy God with his sinfulness. Overwhelmed. We see this all through the Bible. You see it with John in the book of Revelation. Revelation where John falls over like a dead person. You see it with Peter and James and John on the Mount of Transfiguration. They were so traumatized, they thought they were going into some type of coma. The point is, God is looking for people who will have a vision of Him that will traumatize them with His majesty, His glory, and His holiness. That's what happens when we see God. When we, just, when we get close to God in our prayer closet, we're just traumatized by his glory and by his sovereignty and by his majesty. Well, why are you, why are you coming undone, Isaiah? He says in verse 5, why? He says, because I'm a man of unclean lips. And then he says, And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. He said, Listen, my, my mouth is dirty. I have a dirty mouth. You see this again in Luke chapter 6, verse 45. Listen where sin comes from. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good. An evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Your mouth, your tongue is where your sin will most likely manifest itself. I've checked it out in my own life this week. And that's where it begins to manifest itself, in my mouth. Your mouth, your tongue is where your sin is most likely to manifest itself. I am a man with a dirty mouth, and I live among people with a dirty mouth. Well, why are you saying this, Isaiah? Well, he tells us in verse 5. He says, because my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. That's why he feels this way. So here's the point. The person who truly repents has seen a vision of the glory of God and he sees his own sinfulness and he rightly curses himself. Woe is me as I stand before this holy God. Have you come to that point in your life? Have you gotten so close to the Lord in your prayer time, devotional time that you see yourself in a woe condition before the Lord and you cry out to him in forgiveness and asking for his mercy? Notice his response there in verse 5. Woe is me, for I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And then notice what happens in verse 6. You have the purification. You have the response, and now is the purification. This is what takes place. Then one of the seraphims flew to me having in his hand a live coal which he had taken with, with the tongues of the altar. A live coal. then barbecuing, send the charcoal, get red hot, reach over and get the tongues, steak tongues, and pick it up and touch it to your tongue. You ever tried that? Don't, don't try that. Symbolically, symbolically he was saying, listen, having this live coal in this vision, he took the tongues from the altar and he touched my mouth. With it, well, what's what's that all about? I mean, what does that symbolize? Touching that mouth with that hot coal, what does that symbolize, Brother Sam? It symbolizes the agonizing, the painful, the pain of genuine repentance. How painful that is, and when it's painful, you'll be crying out. in front of the Lord painful behold verse 7 and he touched my mouth with it and said behold this has touched your lips and your iniquity is taken away and your sins are purged question is what kind of person is God looking for in a time of crisis like we are going through today In America. He's looking for a person who has a vision of his glory and his majesty and his holiness. A person who is aware of his own sinfulness. A person who is repentant and broken over their sinfulness. A person who is touched by the power of God and forgiven of their sins. Look at his proclamation in verse 8. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Who will go for what? Who will go for us? There's that Trinitarian speech again. Who will go for us? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Who will go for us? And he said, "Um, Here am I. Look what he said. Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? He said, here am I. Send me. And this is what he says. God says. And he said, go and tell these people. Keep on hearing, but they don't understand. Now, Isaiah, you're going to go and you're going to preach. And they're going to keep on hearing, but they won't understand. They're going to keep on seeing, but they're not going to perceive. They're going to they're going to make their heart the heart of the people this people are is dull you're going to preach but their hearts dull their ears are heavy their eyes are shut but but keep on they going lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their mouth and return and be healed you're going to do all of these all of this preaching and no one's going to respond to you but you keep on you keep on preaching you just keep on preaching you keep telling them you keep warning them <clears throat> until there's no one left to tell. Look what he says in verse 11. How long? And he answered, Well, until the cities are laid waste and without inhabitants. The houses are without a man. The land is utterly desolate. The Lord has removed men far away in the forsaken places. There are many in the midst of the land. You just keep on preaching, keep on preaching, keep on preaching. They're not going to hear. They're not going to see with their eyes. They're not going to see with their mind. They're not going to perceive what you say. But you keep on preaching. Now, why would you do that? Well, verse 13 tells us. But yet a tenth will be in it. A tenth. So you have a promise, Isaiah. This is the doctrine of the remnant you hear about from time to time in the Bible. There's a tenth. There's this holy seed. Those who are humble. Those who's, who will be broken over their sin. Those who will be cleansed. And you can go and you can call them to salvation that God offers. And, and this tenth will repent. And they will receive this salvation. You see, what kind of people is God looking for today in America? He's looking for believers, those people that belong uniquely to him, those people that are broken, those people have a vision of him, those people that know his sovereignty, know his holiness, know his majesty, and are willing to go and willing to share and willing to warn and not worry about the results but leave the results to God. That's what he's looking for. This has been an extraordinary week. Have you discovered God's sovereignty in this week? Have you thought of God's sovereignty in this week? His holiness, His glory, His majesty, His power that God can do anything? This has been a happy week for some. But it's been a discouraging week for others. It's been a frightening week for some. But remember, the Lord God is on His throne. And he's governed the world with his sovereign power. And what we may think is the end may just be the beginning of something that God has in store for us. I don't know what you're going through in your life, but let me invite you to come to Christ today and trust him, and trust his sovereign power with whatever you're going through. You say, well, I don't know. Let's say, I don't know what to do in my situation. I don't know about today. I don't know about tomorrow. Listen, I don't either, but we know the one who knows tomorrow, and that's what's important. And so I'm not worried, I'm, I'm not worried. I am not worried. I pray that you not that you're not as a believer, because I'm trusting in the sovereign power of God Almighty. I am. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, but I know he does. One of my favorite songs, I've asked uh, our new quartet to sing, and I'm going to ask them to come. And then after this, listen to the words of this song and let God minister to you in this song. And then um, we'll have a prayer and then have a hymn of invitation. But listen to this, if you will.
1: be through.